Good morning. Glad you're here today. Good to see everyone in Sunday school today. And uh, on this beautiful sun, Sunday, sunny Sunday morning, there we go, can say it all. Amen. Glad that you are in Sunday school this morning uh, here in the house of the Lord. And uh, we're going to take our Sunday school offering today, uh, if the ushers want to do that. And then we've got uh, several announcements we're going to mention here. So um, tomorrow, starting tomorrow, so uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is our prayer and fasting revival. So we will have prayer at the church Monday at 7, that's tomorrow, Tuesday at 7. And then we will have our service, our, our split sessions at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. It's our last split session. So uh, remember that. Also this Wednesday, uh, there's a kids revival. Sister Oliver will be with us. They'll be having a kids revival back here. So there are flyers and postcards if you want to hand any of those out to any kids. Uh, believe in the Lord to fill someone with the Holy Ghost that night. Amen. Uh, also this Thursday, we've got a busy week this Thursday. Uh, at 6.30 is a birthday party here in the, in the gym for Sister Jean. So ladies are invited to that, and there's details about that in Breeze. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Amen. And Sister Oliver's going to be with us for that. We're going to have our 9.30 Sunday school, then 10.30 worship service. There's also flyers for Pentecost Sunday. If you want to hand those out, uh, they're out there on the, in the entryway, and they're also on the kitchen window ledge. Then also this weekend, in case you need something else to do, it's Family Day in the Park. That is on Saturday. We'll, we'll have a booth set up, handing out food, different things, handing out flyers. We've never had Family Day uh, the day before Pentecost Sunday, so we're going to be handing out uh, flyers for Pentecost Sunday saying, tomorrow you need to be in church. Amen. That's a good thing to tell someone. So um, if you can help out with that, that's 10 to 2. You can come and hang out, help hand out pizza and snow cones and whatever else they're doing, that would be a good thing. And then next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, uh, there's an outreach and evangelism training that will take place in the sanctuary with Sister Oliver. That's at 6 p.m. Uh, that will be happening. The coat closet up front uh, that's by the sanctuary, it is about to be cleared out. The end is nigh for the coat closet. Uh, if you have anything up there that is yours, if you could please get that out of the way, um, get it out of the way today. That would be beneficial for clearing that out. Then also a reminder about our outreach dates for Carlisle. We've got a lot of announcements today. Our uh, outreach dates for Carlisle, starting a preaching point in the city of Carlisle. That will be, uh, these are all Saturdays, June 15th, the 22nd, and the 29th. And we'll be getting you more details on times. So it'll probably be in the morning, uh, going out and handing out flyers, letting people know that we're starting uh, Bible studies over there. So if you can plan to help out with that, that would be great if you can help out on any of those Saturdays. Amen. Seems like there was something else, but I can't remember what it is, so I don't know. Well, we, yeah. Today's Sunday school, right? Sunday. Oh, yeah. Uh, these papers here. Okay, we are starting today, we are starting the last uh, of this, of this uh, book series in our discipleship project, so this is... Uh, the third group of lessons, so we will be ordering books for the next set. Now, uh, let me explain these real quick, if I can. This is a sign-up sheet, all right? Now, last time we passed around a sign-up sheet for the books, you had the option of purchasing and just putting your name down that I want one for the rest of the year. If you did that, if you can't remember if you did that, if you're not sure if your spouse did that, on the next page dun, 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 is a list of all of you who signed up and said, I want the book for the year. So if your name is on this list, you don't have to sign this front part, okay? You don't have to sign it because you already signed it up. And you don't want to double sign. That would be a bad thing. You don't even want to know what happens. If, you, if your name is on this list and you sign the front, that's bad. That's real bad, okay? <laughs> yeah, you get two books. That's a bad thing, yeah. And you have to fill them both out at the same time. <laughs> So uh, you can, we're going to pass these around on either side. I don't have a pen. I have one pen, but here. This is marked. It's numbered. Make sure I get my pen back. All right. That's an expensive pen. Like $1.50 for a pack of 300. So. so if you're not sure, check your name on the back, and you can pass that around. And uh, 
We'll get started with our Sunday school here on uh, our third lesson here. And we've, the last series was talking about Jesus prayed when? Different times that Jesus prayed. This week, we're going to be talking, or this, these next uh, few weeks, four weeks, we're going to be talking about living a blessed life. That sounds pretty good. I know prayer can get uncomfortable sometimes, but man, we want the blessed life, right? Well, we'll see. <laughs> uh, it would be great if we, just, if we could just get the blessings, right? God just blessed us if we all woke up uh, spiritual lottery winners, right? That We didn't purchase the ticket, it just appeared in our mailbox and we were all lottery winners and all of our loans were paid off and everything was done. That would just be, as the Bible says, magnifical. That would be great. Well, we're going to talk about living a blessed life and our responsibility uh, as this goes, talking about uh, the, the blessings of God. And uh, we're going to pray before we get started, then we've got a short intro video that we're going to play. But I want us to pray that the Lord would have his way in all of our classes today. Let's join together in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity, this privilege we have to be here. I thank you, Lord, that we can uh, receive your word, that you are faithful and true. And Lord, I pray that your word would find its mark in our heart and lives today, that it would encourage, that it would challenge, that it would lift us up, that it would do the work that it's intended to do, Lord. Anoint our ears to hear your voice today, God. We believe you and thank you and trust you that you will move in every class today, God. Anoint every teacher, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to go You know, ahead. we're a blessed people. And no... Being blessed doesn't mean that you always have everything you want or need or that you've got an overabundance of things. But we can recognize that God has poured out an abundance of blessings on us. I remember as a, as a child uh, going through times when I was just upset with life or whatever my situation was. And I remember my mom telling me many times, Jonathan, go to your room, sit down, and write down everything that you can be thankful for. And she knew, and it wasn't long after putting, making a list of all these things that I realized I was a blessed person. But realizing that we are so blessed, have you ever thought about what's the purpose of all these blessings? Is it so that we live comfortably or so that we can be selfish and hoard it all to ourselves? Or is it so that we can be a blessing to others? It seems that the principle God's established from the beginning is that in, in order to continue enjoying God's blessings, we should honor Him with our blessings. And we honor Him by putting Him first and being good stewards of what he's given us and displaying cheerful generosity to others. That's what this next series of the Discipleship Project is all about, living a blessed life. In order to continue living a blessed life, we need to honor God with our blessings. All right, so we're gonna be starting out with our uh, main scripture passage coming from Proverbs chapter three, uh, verses nine through 10. And it says this, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. <laughs> I wonder how that fits in with the minimalist uh, movement going on right now, that no one, they don't want their barns overflowing. How many of you know your barn's overflowing right now, and you probably should go home and clean it out? It says, honor the Lord with, <laughs> well, nah, that's the rabbit trail. We'll leave that alone. All the stuff that's sitting in the middle of my garage right now for that long-awaited garage sale that needs to happen. If you want to just come take it, you can come take it. You don't even have to knock on the door. Just pull up, get in the garage, and take it. Just the stuff in the middle. Anyway, I'm going to read this story here before I keep talking about that in auctions. I did go to an auction the other day, but I only stayed for a little while. Bought me a pair of ramps for $2.50. Was very pleased with that. All right, anyway, back to the, this is Sunday school, right? This isn't my personal share time, okay. <laughs> Ezra. A vibrant, curly-headed six-year-old boy had slipped around to the backside of the tent his family called home and was gazing open-mouthed as his father bound the kicking feet of a frightened lamb, hoisted it on a pole, and reverently cut its throat. 
The disturbing scene seemed to clash with all of the new life and excitement that Spring was offering this young boy. And this year he had been invited to help. Just yesterday he and his father had walked carefully through their flocks and picked out the lamb that now hung lifeless before him. They had carefully chosen the best they had to offer. Even, and even at his tender age, he knew that this was a big sacrifice. Ezra faintly recalled this same routine from last year, but this year it seemed a little more unsettling. It was also starting to dawn on him that his parents were going all out for these back-to-back celebrations they called the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Later that evening, when the celebration meal was finally ready, Ezra scooted up to the table, picked up a piece of unleavened bread, wondering what the lamb, the flatbread, and the bitter salad was all about. So unable to stifle his curiosity any longer, he blurted out the question, Dad, what does all of this mean? His father tenderly placed a hand on each shoulder, looked him squarely in the eye, and said, Son, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our slavery. Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, so the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout the land of Egypt, both people and animals. That is why I now sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except that the firstborn sons are always bought back. Then he added, it is a reminder that the power of the Lord's mighty hand brought us out of Egypt. These feasts throughout the Old Testament served as vivid reminders that people who put God first in their lives should enjoy God's protection and blessing. These feasts, though, also serve to remind us they're not just things of the past. And I think this is sometimes where we can lose some of the aspect of some of the things that we do that, if you want to say, become tradition or ritual in our lives. But when we partake of these ceremonies, we don't necessarily have Passover and we don't necessarily have the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, but we do take of communion the Lord's Supper. We do have such days as like next week, we have Pentecost Sunday, we have Easter, and we have these moments that we take time to reflect. And that is not wrong. That is not improper. We're supposed to do those things. But I think it would uh, be remiss if all we did is partake of the Lord's Supper and simply remember what the Lord did for us without thinking about what God can still do. You see, it's all right for me to look back and remember that he gave his body for me, that he shed his blood for me. But there should be some aspect that I think about that God can still, his blood is still effective today, that his body is still in play for us today, that God didn't just save me, but he still wants to save today. That when I celebrate Easter, it's not just about the sacrifice he made, but I need to remember and rejoice in the fact that he can still make lives living today that were dead to sin. And so when we look at these things, they're not just memorials, but they also should remind us of the present and also of the future. Contrary to widely accepted philosophies, putting God first is always the right thing to do. Now, notice, and, and, and I'm sure if you've lived any length of time, which this adult class, we've all lived a length of time, so no, no little kids in here. We're all going to man up in this place today. Sorry. Or petitely approach. Putting God first, is, it doesn't say it's the easy thing to do. It says it's always the right thing to do. Now we know that our culture becomes more and more humanistic every day where it's focused on self. And, and, there's, and cultures tend to do that where we begin to celebrate and focus on the power of people. We focus on the rights of every person and that doesn't mean that we cannot celebrate the rights and the freedoms that we have in this country However, I understand that when I become a Christian, when I begin to follow after God, that I now have citizenship of another country, and so my rights change as well. That it's not, my, it's not a God-given right for me simply to pursue my happiness. We begin to put value on things such as self-centeredness and pride, which we give them better names. We like to say that they've just climbed the ladder that they're just successful, but a lot of times behind people that are so successful that we hold up in esteem, there's a lot of self-centeredness and pride that got them to that place. Scripture teaches us something very different. In fact, the Bible implores us 
to not put our rights first, but to put God first in our life. Matthew 6, a familiar passage, Seek him first, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And this is what it makes clear, is that honoring and obeying God, and this is the connection, honoring and obeying God frees God to bless me in my life. You see, when I don't honor and obey God and put Him first, there is no obligation and it begins to bind the hands of God to bless me in my life. As as much as He would like to wash away our sins, He is not willing that any should perish, right? That's what Scripture says. Yet I must partake of that to receive it. I have to come to an altar of repentance. I have to make a decision to go down into the waters of baptism so that he can wash my sins away. God would love to forgive every single person in this world of their sins, and he died on a cross for that. But until I come to an altar and accept what he did for me and accept his forgiveness, it doesn't do any good. In fact, in Scripture it says that they made his word of no effect because they didn't mix faith with it. And so there's this thing where God is willing, but I'm not, really is what it comes down to. Truth be told, putting God first is an imperative for believers because there are no neutral zones in the universe, especially spiritually. And we'll come to this again in just a minute. But humanity will either honor God and His kingdom by obeying His principles, or they will by default oppose God. By default, oppose God. Now see, well, we'll come back to that in just a minute. Just remind me that we're going to come back to that. The book of Isaiah says it this way. In Isaiah 45, 20 through 23, and this is out of the New Living Translation. Gather together and come, you fugitives from surrounding nations. What fools they are who carry around their wooden idols and pray to gods that cannot save. Consult together, argue your case, get together and decide what to say. Who made these things so long ago? What idol ever told you they they would happen? Was it not I, the Lord? For there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by mine own name. (laughs) I just always think that's funny. Not that, but just the idea that God swears by his own name. I don't know why that strikes me as funny. I promise by myself that I'll do it. I've spoken the truth. It's not funny, ha-ha, just, well, anyway. And I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue shall confess allegiance to me. So we find here that there's people that are wandering around the wooden aisles. They're asking them all these things. They're coming together. They're consulting. They're doing all this. And God says, I was there before. It was I, the Lord, and there's none besides me. There's no neutral zone. There's no in-between. And in the story that we read at the start of the lesson, we find that God demonstrates his sovereignty By taking the Israelites out of of Egypt and he takes the lives of the Egyptians' firstborn males. And the reason he did this was because Pharaoh refused to submit to God's rule. Moses came to Pharaoh and said, this is what I want you to do, this is what God said. And Pharaoh refused to submit to it. Pharaoh refused to acknowledge God as sovereign. He was simply selfish, there was pride, he was king, he wasn't going to bow to anyone or, or give up to anyone's, anyone else's commands. I know we don't do that. At the same time, though, God required each Israelite family to give God their best. So we have two sides where one side is not willing to submit, and then on the other side, God is asking for the best. And so there's no middle ground. It's an all-or-nothing thing when it comes to God. It's submitting to God and giving your best, or you're not on His side. Those who obediently observed the first Passover meal, when they did this, they triggered one of the greatest emancipations in human history. And really, it was a shadow of what was to come of you and I being set free from the bondage of sin. And so we realize that in giving God our best, we release Him to bless every part of our lives. When I give Him my best, this includes my time, my treasure, and my talent. How do I begin to give God my best in those things? Of course, we know that we, in the following lessons, we'll get into some of these things, so I'm not going to go in depth, but we know that uh, giving God our best, the minimum is to give Him a 10% of our increase, that we are to pay our tithes. That's how, that's the minimum that I do. 
And if I, if I don't want to keep God's hands tied, I need to do my best. I need to do my part. I need to give him my best in my time and in my talent as well. And, and we talked about this a little bit in, in one of our uh, uh, split sessions. We talked about priorities and, and, and how you know God and family and ministry and church and all these things. And, and very often, if you've seen that list of priorities, well, it's a, a list of priorities. How that's a little disingenuous because... We know that life is not as simple as a list. Have <laughs> you ever had a list before and you realize you couldn't get all the list done? Or like me, you forgot where you put the list? <laughs> That's why you, you, you don't give me a piece of paper. I will lose it. Okay, if you, if you text me or email me, that's far better. And I make notes on my computer because it's harder to lose my computer than a piece of paper. I have it on a chain I wear around my neck. So the, our lives get a little bit, a little bit uh, conflicted where it, it's not just as easy as God and then family and then church and ministry. It's not as easy as that because we can't just mark off the, uh, our list of priorities because there's a lot of conflict that comes in those priorities. And then the, the, this cycle begins. But I think that sometimes when we think, well, I got to give my best time and my talent to God, it, that means, well, what are you saying? I have to come to the church for 50 hours a week. What about my job? No, if I believe that my life and I'm putting God first in my life, I believe that includes every area of my life. So I believe that means at work. I believe that means at home. I believe that means at church that I'm giving God my best and that I want to be where God wants me to be in every area of my life. So that means I can be on the job and be giving my time to God because while I'm on the job, I realize that God has placed me here and I can minister while I'm working, that I can minister while I'm at home with my kids, that there's not a differentiation between family and ministry sometimes, that I'm ministering to my family anyway, or I could bring my family to ministry. How about that? I could have Cooper teach Sunday school. That'd be a good one there. We were at the park the other day, and he was trying to convince the kids, I don't know who they were, that he was playing tag with. He was trying to get them impressed with how many verses he knew, and I, he knew, and I was like, Cooper, they really don't care. <laughs> but he was happy about it. There's the phrase sometimes when we think about putting God first, that even though we don't say it, uh, it's sometimes in our mind, and, and other people, we may have heard it say, God wants us to be happy. That's not a biblical precedent that we find, first of all, because happiness is relative. Your happiness may not be my happiness. <clears throat> I, I really don't want to go fishing all day. Sorry. I would get bored to tears. First of all, because I can't catch any fish, so that's pretty boring. I don't call that fishing. I call that sitting on a bank. <laughs> Which doesn't interest me. But happiness is relative. And so God doesn't ever promise us that our lives will be happy. That's not what he says. Now, our lives can be fulfilling and there's blessings that can be in our life. But, but God did ask us at the same time to put our best forward because when I put my best forward, it triggers God's blessings in my life. Giving our best is hard, though. You ever, you ever, you know, giving your best can be difficult. <laughs> Giving your money sometimes just in ties can seem difficult when you think about it logically. Giving our time can be difficult. The best of my time. Giving the best of my talent can be difficult. And just, just so you're aware of this, this simple correlation is God knows how hard it is to give our best. That's why he asked for it, because it's a sacrifice. We know how hard it is to give our best. Don't you think that Satan knows how hard it is for you to give you your best? So what, what do you think he might try to do? He might try to give you good alternatives to put your best into. So I, 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 there, there, there's moments and times where, you know, I, 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 ooh, let's see. Uh, Blake didn't finish up. Do I want to emulate Blake and be like him? Or do I want to finish up? I'll get all, I'll get all the blanks in today. But Satan knows exactly what God wants you to give. He knows that. And so he will do everything in his power to give you a good option for you to give your time to, for you to give your talent to, for you to give your treasure to. He'll give you plenty of options. 
Now, now we like to think, well, I don't really encounter much temptation. Well, we don't even realize sometimes when it comes to these areas of putting God first what temptation has entered our life. We don't even understand that. Let me just say that, that I, I believe, and I've said this before, that if, when I live for the Lord, when I serve God, that I have, and I have the Holy Ghost, that I should have the fruit of the Spirit operating in my life. So that means love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith, all those things. I believe that I should do a good job is the, the, to the best of my ability. And I believe that the Holy Ghost can help me sometimes, even when I don't know. How many ever prayed at work? Said, Lord, I don't... My boss is ignorant, and he asked me to do this. <laughs> so let me just say, if all of that is working in your life, you've got the fruit of the Spirit working in your life, you've got the Holy Ghost working in your life, you've got all these things working in your life, it should be no surprise that you're one of the best employees. Right? You shouldn't be one of the worst if the fruit of the Spirit's in you, Right? No one should be saying, I don't want him to be my boss. He's got no patience. He's got no people skills. He can't show kindness to anyone. Then I think people are showing you where you need the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That being the case, you know what the enemy likes to do? Well, sometimes. Because there's blessings, and I know there's a fine line here. But you know what? At some point, Satan can get your job that you are so good at to push you so far that God no longer, it becomes a struggle to keep God first. Not every open door is from God. <laughs> I believe if you live for the Lord and, you're, and you serve Him, you should be up for promotion. I believe that. Because you should be doing a good job. But at some point, I realize that I can only be promoted so far until I'm going to have to make a sacrifice. And, and a lot of times it comes to a choice between putting God first and putting something else first. And I need to realize these things. Satan realizes it. And he'll be willing to do anything to put it in my way. We find the story of Naaman. I'm sure a lot of you know the story of Naaman. He comes uh, to Israel. He hears from the, the slave girl that, that there's a guy in, in Israel, a prophet in Israel, who can heal his leprosy. So he makes the trip there. He sees Elisha. He has all these gifts and everything that he wants to give Elisha. Elisha tells him, you need to go dip seven times in the river Jordan, and you'll be made whole. And Naaman has a problem with that. Uh, I, I've had some issues in my life, some weird issues in my life that I've done things a little dumb. A lot of times I still have that issue. I did have the opportunity to go to Israel when I was about 15 years old. And there's people that are in awe of the River Jordan and people getting baptized in the River Jordan. I thought all I need to do is just take a drink of the River Jordan. That's a nasty, nasty river. Within about an hour, I had the worst sore throat. And the only thing that would clear it up was when I got to the Dead Sea and decided to taste it too. <laughs> hey, salt's supposed to help you, right? Gargle with salt water? Hey. And Naaman was ticked off because this is how long ago? And it's filthier now. But he's like, man, why would I, why would I dip in the River Jordan seven times? Why would I do that? It's filthy river. I'm not... I'm not no eight-year-old boy that wants to go jump in a pond somewhere. Why would I do that? We got cleaner rivers back home. Why would I do that? You see, understanding, Naaman didn't understand this thing. That the power was not in the material, it was in the obedience. That's why we tell people, the power is not in the water. That has spiders and algae floating in it occasionally. It's not in that water. It's not in the temperature of the water. It's in the obedience, okay? But, and so, and a servant finally convinces him, why don't you just do what the prophet said and just see what happens? Just see what happens. Of course, we know he dipped seven times and he was made whole. But I, I begin to think about this. That just seems really kind of petty, really. The prophet tells you, you go to the prophet and he say, I, I need this. The prophet tells you something that's not hard to do. I mean, it's not that hard, really. It's a little bit nasty, but it's not that hard. And you put up a fight about it. I wonder how many times in my life I've gone to God, or I've gone to somebody for advice, for spiritual counsel, and they've told me something that really wasn't that big of a deal, and I've argued. I know there's stuff in my life that I've argued about. God's told me, I don't want you to do this anymore. I think you should do this. Well, that's dumb. And you know what I do? I come up with an easier, better solution. I'll just go to the rivers that I know because they're cleaner. 
I mean, let's make it spiritual. Let's make it spiritual now. When you can't convince yourself, make it spiritual. There's germs in that river, Jordan. And God would not want me to die because I have a work for him to do. I might get a parasite, a flesh-eating parasite in the river Jordan. So, so that I can continue God's work that he has called me to do, I will go back to my own river and dip myself there. I have a bar of soap and some shampoo there. I'll just take a bath. How many ever spiritualize your excuses? Well, God wouldn't want. Well, then why did he tell you? And, and we don't understand. We think, we think well, I, I'll just switch this. No, the issue is the obedience. And then I go and do it my own way, and I'm like, well, God, I did what you said. No. Just like when, when, when Samuel comes, and he, he comes to Saul, and he's approaching, and he hears the bleeding of sheep, and, of, and he hears the cattle, and he hears all the stuff going on, and he says, what have you done? Man, this is, I don't know about you, but this is it to a T. This is a spiritual excuse to a T. Because God told Saul, I want you to destroy everything. I want you to destroy the king, the people, the, the cows, the sheep, the dogs, the cats. If they're spiders, step on them. Destroy everything. And he kept the animals and he said, because I wanted to offer them in sacrifice to God. Well, how could that be wrong? Because there wasn't obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Okay? And because of that, he lost what God said he should have. And so I've got to make sure that I'm obeying what God says. That it's not just about the action. Well, I dipped in the river and nothing happened. No, did you do it the way that God said? Did you do what he said? This is what it means to put God first. Is that when God tells me to do something, I obey. Again, if you've lived for the Lord anytime, you know that's easier said than done because sometimes God asks you to do things that are not the easiest thing. And very often, and, and we've found so far, is that God very often requires the best. He doesn't just want the worst part of your life. He wants all of your life, including the best. He doesn't just want your, your plan D. He wants your plan A. God created the universe, in case you didn't know that, and he designed it around his kingship. He designed it around him being in charge. And the Bible is just God's way of explaining how everything was designed to work. Understand that no matter what system we come up with and how good we may think it, be, it may be, this world was designed not around any manly system, but it was designed around God being in the center of it all. That's how it was designed. So when I don't put God at the center, when I don't recognize him as king, it, 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 it becomes a burden to me. Suddenly I begin to take on all these cares that I don't need to take on. But when I begin to obey God, that is to begin to operate my life according to the manufacturer's guidelines. Now, uh, I, I don't really enjoy fishing, uh, but just to make sure that I still possess a man card... I don't like reading the instructions either. <laughs> the best thing to do when you buy something and there's that package of screws and pieces is to quickly open it and dump them out. That is by far the best thing. And let the piece of paper that was there fly underneath the couch. That is by far the best thing. And then when it says a screwdriver, no, you can use a drill. Just be careful. Little wood putty on the inside. But it really works best according to the manufacturer's guidelines. Uh, my kids play with Legos, and it works a lot better when they follow the instructions because there's a manufacturer's guidelines. And so when I read the scripture, the manufacturer's guidelines, it tells me that God is first and that when I obey him, that makes for a blessed life. When I begin to do my own thing and expect God to tag along behind me, I'm really no different than what we read about in Isaiah. He said they get together and confer and they talk about it, they see how they can work, and then they drag their wooden idol behind them. Really, when I sit down and think, well, this is what I'll do, and this is the plans I'm going to make, and I'll just drag God behind me so I can just say, well, I've got him with me. No, God should be at the forefront. He should be leading. He should be guiding, directing all my decisions. And the older I get, 
the more I realize I've got a lot of decisions where I need a lot more of God. You know, I think as we're younger, we have that idea of hubris. We have that idea of pride, of I can do it. I think part of it has to do when you get older and you realize, oh, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> Makai's learning that, that his right foot can't do it anymore, right? <laughs> Makai broke his foot, ankle, leg. He broke the right side of his body the other night. So don't kick his crutches out from underneath him. That wouldn't be nice. But it becomes like idolatry. Whether it's we're putting our plans, our agenda, our ideas first, it becomes like idolatry. The concept of putting God first is so important to our success that God established some special days and traditions. And we've mentioned some of these. And these are not just about reminding us about the past. But God knows that people need to do things that remind them of God's greatness and goodness. We need to do things that remind us of God's greatness and goodness. That's why it's important to come to church. I mean, coming every Sunday, why do I need to do that? Because when I come together, I'm probably going to hear about His greatness and His goodness, whether it's from uh, the preacher or the Sunday school or a song that's sung. And I need that. I need that in my life. I need to remember that I serve a good God. And I serve a great God. And when he asks me to do something, I need to have the fact that he's a righteous judge, that he's a good God, a great God, in the forefront of my mind, that he may ask me something that I don't understand, but I know his character, so I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to believe him. When he is exalted in my life, I become blessed in my life. The bottom line is that putting God first puts us in the flow of God's blessings. We read Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 at the start. Read it again, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the firstfruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Honor him with my substance and with the firstfruits, the first things, the best things, the things that I'm most proud of. Honor him with those. This, this verse gives us an obvious cause and effect relationship. It's conveyed here. That God wants to fill our barns, but it only comes as a result of us honoring him. Now, here's, here's part of the problem, and, and we got we to finish up here. Here's part of the problem, though. Since most cultures tend to misdefine what it means to be blessed, a person's exposure to blessed lives through Scripture and personal experiences are invaluable. Because here's the problem. Here's what we do. I don't know about you. I won't include you. Now my mind went somewhere else. <laughs> but we tend to misdefine what it means to be blessed. Here's what I do. I do what God wants me to do. I listen to his voice. And then I look around and be like, well, I don't have that. I thought you said that if uh, I honored you with the substance and the first fruits of all I have, my barn will be full. I would actually just like my garage painted right now. But you said my barn would be full and I'd have a bunch of wine. Just does me no good. <laughs> Just have to sell it, I guess. But I don't, my barn's not bursting forth. What happened to that? Well, see, we begin to misdefine what it means to be blessed. Because we begin to put blessing and equate it with cultural valuations of what success is. And unless I have what culture says is what I need to have, I don't think I'm blessed. So to be blessed means that if I give my tithes, I need to have a nice house. Because you don't ever buy a lesser house, right? You always want to buy a nicer house. I need to have a nice vehicle. If I'm married, I need to have at least two and then a backup. I need to have a four-wheeler. I need to have an ATV. I need to have something that I can drive. I need a tractor. I need that to, I, I need a tractor because I've got this dirt pile. I've been moving with a wheelbarrow. It's just about done, but I could have used a tractor to dig that ditch I needed. I need a porch. I, need, I have to have a porch. What's a house without a front porch? I've got to have that. I've got to have, I've got to have a good retirement. I've got to have some good stocks, some good investments. I've got to have a good college fund going. And if I do what God says, I'll have this. Now, does that mean if I have those things, that's wrong? No, that's not what I'm saying. But when I base 
what God has done in my life based on what society and culture says is a successful person, I'm missing the point. Because nowhere does God say in Scripture that I will have all of those things. Nowhere. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, you will probably find the exact opposite of those things. Where they leave counting themselves blessed to be able to suffer. <laughs> now, I don't want that. <laughs> you know, that one verse where they, they leave and, and, and they're, they're called before the Sanhedrin and the one guy gets up, Gamaliel, and says, why don't we just let them go because, you know, we don't want to do too much to them in case they're true. And they're like, they just throw it in there. And so they beat them, then let them go. Like beating was no big thing. Okay, we'll let you go. We'll beat you first, but then we'll let you go. They counted it a joy. They, 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 counted it a, they, they expected to die every day. They expected to be martyred. They expected these things to happen. They gave of themselves. They gave of their money, and they counted themselves blessed. And the scripture is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then I need to make sure that my eyes are not set on material things, and if I don't have them, I don't count myself as blessed. And I also need to make sure that I don't use the things that are not tangible as cop-outs. What I mean by, you know, the, the intangibles. I, I've said before, I like, I, I didn't this year, uh, I, I guess I'm, I don't have time for it anymore, but I liked watching the NFL draft. And, and when they're drafting players, they have scores based on all these things they can do, and they put them through all these tests, but then they always talk about the intangibles, that you can't measure their heart. You can't measure their drive. You can't measure these things. These are the intangibles. And, and sometimes those intangibles can almost be a cop-out. Well, they're not really that good, but they've got some drive behind them. Sometimes we say, well, I don't have a boat, and I don't have a four-wheeler, and I don't have a nice house, but at least I have my health. You don't, you're not counting that as a blessing when you say it that way. But at least I have my health. Maybe you say it in a good way. But I'm glad I have my health. But see, that's when my mindset is focused on these other things. I need to realize that I may be blessed. I re and sometimes, you know, it gets, you think, well, how many jewels am I going to put in my crown? <laughs> Why don't God just drop that crown down here so I can have a few of the jewels and take it back up? But I need to make sure that my eyes are focused on what really matters. And you know how I do that? I do that through scripture and I do that through prayer. Because the, this world will transform my mind if I let it. This world will begin to work on my mind if I let it. And before long my eyes will begin to turn. They'll begin to shift. They'll begin to see the things that this world wants me to see. And before long I won't be looking at the things that really matter. I won't be looking at the eternal. My eyes will be focused on the temporal. And before long I'll say, God, you've left me. When all the time he's been blessing me. Real quick, although we should not give to get, honoring God does bring benefits. If we cheat in this area of giving to God of our first fruits, we cheat ourselves, really. Honoring God does bring benefits. It should be noted that our greatest blessings are not material blessings. Our greatest blessings are not material blessings. We get angry at God for not intervening. Let me just say, if, if, if that's the case, if, if the stuff is all that matters, there's people that don't care about God that have bunches of stuff. Are they blessed? <clears throat> well, in a sense, they're blessed, but they're not blessed with what matters. I need to understand that it's not a cop-out to say, well, at least I have these things. No, I'm blessed to have those things. I'm blessed to have family. I'm blessed to have health. I'm blessed to have an inheritance that is kept incorruptible, that is being guarded and kept for me beyond this world. Honoring God affects our entire demeanor. <laughs> Honoring God guards against selfishness. It promotes thankfulness. It inspires productivity. And since it pleases God, He then begins to bless us in ways that uh, perpetuate more honor and more thankfulness. Perhaps the greatest blessing that comes from us putting God first is that our whole personality will be more gracious, selfless, and peaceful when I put God first because He's in control of everything. I'm going to close with this story today. <clears throat> the year was 2001, Space Odyssey. The mood was somber, but not heavy as people quietly filled into the humble church building and found a seat in the crowded auditorium. Soft music accompanied by a hushed reverence filled the air. 
Graceful bouquets surrounded the modest casket, perfuming the assembly. Loved ones who were gathering for one last goodbye had been sharing memories and heartwarming photographs of family outings, Christmas plays, birthday celebrations, and weddings. Notably absent were any stories of drunkenness, lewdness, discord. The man who now lay before them was truly a man who had lived a life worth celebrating. At the nod of the minister, more than 20 immediate family members stood, faced the audience, and began to sing Amazing Grace. Friends who had attended the same church for 40 years and co-workers who had observed the deceased for decades would later comment about how overwhelmed they were when they recognized this man that had such humble means was rich beyond measure. None of his five children or ten grandchildren were divorced, pregnant, out of wedlock, addicted to drugs or alcohol, in trouble with the law, estranged from the family. In fact, for several years, all of his sons and two of his son-in-laws were ministers. And again, that doesn't mean that's the be-all and end-all, but it is a testament. What was his secret? How had this man become so blessed? If you had been there that day and had been listening, you would have picked up the answers to those questions by spending just a few minutes wandering among the family during the conversations that followed. Someone recalled the year that the man took a cut in pay in order to work a shift that allowed him to spend more time with his family and attend church. This wasn't a minister that they're talking about. This was just a regular guy like you and I. Another mentioned the time that he and his wife decided that she would take a job. Not so they could get more things, but in order to help with the building program and help support some missionaries. Someone else spoke of his faithfulness as a husband and a father. His pastor recounted the time the nurses who cared for his dying wife were concerned for him because they heard him walking the hospital halls and mumbling words they could not understand. They were not familiar with the communication that he was involved with, praying in tongues for his wife and those others in the hospital. It was clear to those who knew him best that this man was blessed because he made God a priority in his life. And as a result, listen to this, as a result, because he put God first, he did not die financially rich. The message that goes around that you give this and you'll get that and it's just material things is not of the Bible. Let me just say that very plainly. It is not of the Bible. You may live for the Lord all of your life and not die well and, and die not having much in this world. That's possible because God never promised that you will die and leave a massive inheritance. And if that is your goal, then you are missing the mark of what God wants for your life. Is it wrong for that? No, because God may bless you that way. But if my sole purpose is to acquire on this earth, then I'm not following what God has for my life. You need to hear that because there are lies out there. There are people peddling those lies. You know why? Because I like to hear that. <laughs> if I know that if I give $10 that God's going to give me 1000 back, that's a good investment right there. I'll give $10. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. That is not the word of the Lord. <laughs> so let me be very clear about that. There's not a prosperity gospel found in Scripture. It, anyway, we've got to finish up. So as a result, because he took a pay cut so he could go to church and spend time with his family, because he didn't do certain things, because he was willing to give up certain things, because he was willing, him and his wife, to take a job and not enrich themselves, but to give to the kingdom of God, he did not die financially rich. But we know that he died wealthy in eternal currency. He died wealthy. You know... When I look at my life, when I look back over my life, I don't want to just leave my kids something that they can spend when I'm gone. I want to leave them something far more valuable. Let me tell you this, though. That will not happen in the last two years of my life if I live a full life. If my years are 80 years, I can't start at 78 and say, now I'm going to leave something for my kids. No. No. Right now, while I'm 38 years old, 
I've got to make sure that I'm putting that in my kids right now. This is when I have the opportunities to acquire those things. This is the chance in my life when I have the opportunity to acquire material things in my life. And I've got to make the choices now for my kids that are young now. I have to make the choices now for my grandkids about what I'm going to put in their life what I want to leave them. I want to make sure that God is first in everything that I do. And if God blesses me with a boat and he blesses me with, I don't know what I'd do with a boat if it was a fishing boat. And I'd just be sitting in a boat. If God blessed, I'd sell it with the wine. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. I, God may bless me with that stuff and that's, that's fine. But I want to make sure however he blesses me that the primary goal is God is first in my life. He is first in my life. I want us to stand this morning. And every choice I make, every choice I make, whether it's buying a house, buying a car, my work, a decision for my kids, whatever it is, my primary thing has to be putting God first. I tell you what, I've made some decisions on my own. <laughs> I can get a little hot under the collar. I'm hot under the collar right now. That's why I'm buttoning my top button. I'm a little hot. And I've made decisions in my life. I didn't ask God about it. I just knew what I was going to do. I knew it. That's not, what I, that's not how I want to live my life. Before I, before I do anything in my life, I want to make sure, God, I want to make sure that you are able to have your say in this part of my life, in this decision. I want us to pray right now that, that, that we, God would help us in this area, that we would make sure that we're putting him first, that, that he could search our hearts. And if there's any place where he's not first, that he could have free reign. Let's join together. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and privilege we have to hear your word. And Lord, I pray, I, Lord, I give, you, I give you free reign in my heart and life. Lord, if I, if I say I want to serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, then I give you free reign to look in, in those areas, in my time, my treasure, my talent. And Lord, my goal is to put you first. And Lord, if there's any area in my life where you are not first, Lord, I, 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 I want to allow you to be able to look in those areas, to show me, to open my eyes. Lord, I thank you for people in this church that are putting you first in their time and their treasure and their talents. I thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray your blessings, Lord. We know that it's tied to it. Lord, I pray that you would bless their families, Lord, that you would bless their lives, God, that you would open the windows of heaven in their lives, Lord. And Lord, help us to see where our blessings really lay, Lord. Remind us that we are not storing up treasures on this earth, but you have something far greater in store for us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here in Sunday school today. We're going to take a few moments before we start our main service. Amen. Thank you for being here.